you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. John is the fourth Gospel. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And we will be looking this morning at the first 18 verses. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. The Word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative, and the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that You would set our hearts upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would hear Your word. That we would believe it that it would be a comfort to us, that it would be a guide and a stay for us. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, it should go without saying, but because I'm a preacher, I'm going to say it, that Jesus Christ is the center of the Christian's life. And Jesus Christ is the center 
of the Bible that we hold dear. The story of the Bible is Jesus' story. In the Old Testament, we have the predictions of His coming in shadows and in types. In the Gospels, we have an account of His life and His ministry. In the Epistles, we have His instructions to us for life. And in the book of Revelation, we have the story of His final victory. The Bible is Jesus' story. But even acknowledging that, we must understand and agree that there are certain portions of the Bible that focus more clearly upon the Lord Jesus Christ, where the light is brighter, as it were. And this is also true of history and even of our calendar. Throughout history, the church has focused on the incarnation, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a significant event in the history of redemption. There is a reason that there is a Christmas season. You see, the church has understood all along that without the coming of Jesus, everyone would be without hope. And the thing is, often at this time of year, we focus on the nativity of Jesus, his birth. Two of the Gospels begin there, both Matthew and Luke begin with the birth of Jesus. But today we're going to be looking at another Gospel, the Gospel of John, that focuses on Jesus as God himself come to earth. John lays out for us, the true nature of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows us that Jesus is the Word of God. He shows us that Jesus is the light of the world. He shows us that Jesus is the coming one. And that Jesus is the bringer of grace. Let's begin by looking at John's account of Jesus as the word. Now John begins this gospel with a majestic eternal scene. As some have written, if this were a musical piece set to these words, it would be an overture that would blare out, would gather our attention, would demand that we look to what John is telling us. This is not a comfortable and cute account of Jesus. I warn you, there will be no animals. There will be no shepherds. There will not even be angels. But there will be the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, John 1 begins in a very similar vein to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. And we are introduced not to the man Jesus but to the Son of God. Now, who is this Jesus then? Who is Jesus? Jesus is, first and foremost, the everlasting God. Do you see how John introduces us to Jesus? In the beginning was the Word. Now, let me ask a question for the grammarians among us. The verb was, what tense is that? It's a past tense, isn't it? Do you see what John is saying? In the beginning, before anything was, before time began, 
Jesus already was. He doesn't say in the beginning is the Word of God. He doesn't say in the beginning will be the Word. He says in the beginning was the Word. Now think about that. Before all creation, before all time, before even the beginning itself, Jesus was. You see, John compels us to go beyond the manger. Jesus is like no other man because he is before all men and all creation. Now, Jesus is not merely everlasting. Jesus is also, John tells us, God. Look at the end of verse 1. The Word was God. Now, what John is doing here for us is he is anticipating all sorts of theories or plans or arguments that people might raise against the deity of Jesus Christ. Someone might try to come up with some sort of pre-existing creation. Creation before creation. Just to say that Jesus is in God. And so John, as he so often does, he does not mince words. And take note, it doesn't take him long to say it. The Word was God. There's nothing to argue with there. It's a direct and absolute statement. And what this means is that for Jesus, everything that is true of God is true of Jesus. Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is unchangeable. He can do all of the works that God can do. And Jesus is the one that we are to worship just as we worship God. Jesus is God. But Jesus also tells us something about God. It's that phrase sandwiched between the two we've just looked at in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So it's not just that the Word was God, the Word was with God. Now what does this mean? It means that John is affirming that while there is one God, that one God exists in more than one person. You see, there is the kernel of the doctrine of the Trinity found here in the beginning of John's Gospel. Because Jesus is God, but He is also distinct from the person of the Father. And what that tells us is, we know more about God because of Jesus. If Jesus had not come, we would know less about the nature of God. We would not be able to worship Him as He deserves. But as Jesus comes, we know God. The second thing that John begins to tell us about our Lord Jesus Christ who is the Word, is that He is the Creator of all things. Now, the main separation between God and everything else is creation. You see, God is the Creator. He is uncreated. All things are created by God. This is what John says in verse 3. All things were made through Him. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with John's writings, but John has a way of not only being very direct and being very simple, but he's repetitive. 
He comes at something from multiple angles. He doesn't want you to miss the point at all. He wants crystal clarity. And so he says not only that all things were made through him, he says the reverse. He says, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything that is in existence was made by Jesus. And there is nothing in existence that Jesus didn't make. You can't think up or dream up anything that Jesus didn't make. Now you see, because of this, because of the nature of Jesus as God, and because of the separation between God and all things that are created, the main theological dispute about Jesus through the ages is whether or not He is a created being. And so what John is telling us about Jesus is central to our faith. It is central to our understanding of who Jesus is. Others may pretend to be Christians. But unless they affirm that Jesus is the creator and he is not a created being, they are not followers of Jesus. You see, for Mormons, Jesus is a created being along the par with Satan, like an angel. For Jehovah's Witnesses, the heirs of the ancient heretics, the Arians, Jesus is a high, exalted, but created being. There is a famous saying from Arius that there was a time when he was not. But John tells us that this is a lie, that Jesus has created all things. And it just makes logical sense, doesn't it? Because if Jesus has created all things, then how could Jesus be created? That would be included in all things, wouldn't it? And how does Jesus create himself and not be the creator? You see, John is not leaving us any wiggle room at all here. Have you thought about this, that Jesus is the creator of all things? Because you see, normally our thoughts around Christmas focus on the birth narrative. We think about the difficulties that Mary had traveling to Bethlehem. We think about the difficulties of lodging and how the inn was full. We think about the perfect scene of Jesus' birth with people gathered around. But do we understand that the helpless babe in the manger is the creator and sustainer of all things. Because this is the testimony of Scripture. Paul writes in Colossians, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And He is before all things, and in Him all things are held together. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus upholds the entire universe. By the word of his power. Revelation 4 describes how Jesus is worthy of glory and honor and power. For he created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. John is reminding us that we must worship Jesus. Who is the eternal God and creator. Secondly, we see that Jesus is God who is light. John puts it this way. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
You see, what John is telling us is, it is not just that Jesus brings light. Light does not exist outside of Jesus Christ. He is the light. Jesus is the source of all life. And that life is the light of men. Now, throughout history, men have sought to find light or more light. Plato thought that light was education and knowledge. The Buddhists think that light is found in a cycle of death and rebirth. Islam thinks that light is found in submission and in war. And even modern man thinks that light is found in progress and in evolution. But what John is telling us is if we are to have light, we must go to Jesus. Jesus has brought us that light first in creation. And we, in our sinful nature, have twisted that light. We have exchanged creation for the Creator. But Jesus brings to us the promise of life and light that is found in Psalm 36. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. You see, for us, our condition, apart from Jesus Christ, is darkness. And John reminds us of the seriousness of that. He tells us that the darkness struggles against the light. Now, John does something very interesting here as he talks about the light shining into the darkness. As the light breaks into the darkness of this world, look with me at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Now, before that verse, look at all of the verbs. They're all in the past tense. There's a lot of wases in verses 1 through 4. But now here, John moves to the present tense. He's telling us not that the light shone in the past. He's not just describing an historical event that has no significance for you or for me. He's telling us that Jesus, the light of the world, is shining even now in the darkness. That light continues to shine. But what does this darkness mean that the light shines into? I think often our first glance wants us to think of the darkness as ignorance, as a lack of knowledge. You've probably even said to yourself once upon a time that you were in the dark and you needed more information. But I don't think that is what John means here. You see, here the darkness is more than ignorance. It is an hostility. It is a hostility against Jesus Christ. And you see, we must understand that as the light breaks into the world, it is not enough for us to merely know that the baby Jesus has been born. We must know that Jesus changes everything. Everything. Forever. You see, the darkness wants to overcome the light of Jesus. And this is the real battle of Christmas. I have to tell you that the battle of Christmas is not when a checkout person says happy holidays to you. 
The battle of Christmas is not what color or design is on a Starbucks cup. The battle of Christmas is how the darkness of the enemy seeks to overcome the light of Jesus Christ and to trap his people in darkness and sin and death forever. You see, the darkness does not want us to acknowledge that Jesus is God. We have to understand that as Jesus breaks into the darkness and overcomes the darkness... He's overcoming the darkness of our own selves. For you see, apart from Jesus Christ, we also are at war with Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus cannot be overcome. That's what John's telling you. Some translations translate this word in verse 5, overcome, as understand or comprehend. But in the Greek, its meaning is more of seizing, taking control of, overcoming. And you see, what John is saying is, try as it might, the darkness cannot defeat our Jesus. The light shines on. We see this even from the story of the Bible, don't we? Satan had for centuries tried to destroy the line of Jesus Christ, didn't he? Even as Jesus was about to be born, Herod wanted to destroy him. Even after his birth, Herod tried to find a way to kill Jesus by killing all of the boys of a certain age. But have you ever thought, despite all the seeming fragility of the baby Jesus, that he was perfectly safe at all times. Have you ever held a baby in your arms? Babies can't do anything to take care of themselves. They are completely dependent. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why there are laws against parents simply leaving babies alone. If you leave a baby alone by itself, The law recognizes that it is defenseless. And yet our Lord Jesus Christ, even as he came into the world as a babe, was perfectly safe at all times. He was the light that can never be overcome in the plan of God. But there's something else for you this morning, a personal note. Because what John is saying to you is, there is no part of your life, there is no darkness in your life that Jesus cannot overcome. There is nothing to be hopeless about. Because the light shines. And no matter how black the darkness is, it cannot overcome it. Then, now, thirdly, we see John move past opposition to Christ as the light, to the excitement of Christ's coming. Look with me at verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Now, you can almost feel the breathless excitement of John here describing Jesus coming into the world. But I think there's a vivid way we can illustrate this that is in all of our minds today. 
This is the kind of excitement that comes way too early on Christmas morning. When the kids break into mom and dad's room and say, come on, come on, we got to get up. Christmas is already like a minute and a half old. Let's go. We got things to open. We got stuff to do. Oh my, come on, let's go. We got to go downstairs. Come on, come on. Now, if children can get that excited about toys that will be broken in six months, how excited should we be about the one who comes into the world? That's how excited John is. He can't contain himself. I like to think in my sanctified imagination that as John is writing this, he's kind of jumping up and down with excitement. The light is coming. The true light. The true light will come into the world. And you see, Jesus' coming is cause for joy because he is the light that everyone needs. This is what John says. The true light enlightens everyone and it enters into the world. Jesus is for everyone. He shines for all. Have you ever wondered why Christmas is so cross-cultural? How all over the world people have different traditions, they eat different foods, they wear different clothings, they celebrate at different times in different ways. You see, the reason Christmas is so cross-cultural is because Jesus and his birth is cross-cultural. Jesus is for everyone, everyone in Asia, everyone in Africa, everyone in America, everyone in Europe. And if there's anybody right now living in Antarctica, Jesus is for them. Jesus is for everyone. He is the light that shines as he comes into the world. And Jesus comes not just to defeat darkness, but Jesus comes to gather for himself a people. Do you see this? In verse 12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is coming into the world, brings God to us. Have you ever thought about what the main attribute of God is? Some might say it's his eternality. Some might say it's his almighty power. Some might say it's that he is wise. But I think the ultimate attribute of God is his otherness. You see, there is God, and then there is everything else. And the everything else is not God. The Bible talks about this otherness of God as his holiness, his separateness from his creation. And yet, in Jesus, the Word became flesh. God came to us. And John puts it in a very vivid way. He says that Jesus came in the flesh, in verse 14, and dwelt among us. Now this word dwelt can also be translated and is in other places of the Bible, tabernacled. It's the same word that we get the tabernacle from. And you remember what the tabernacle was, don't you? 
How when the Israelites left Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years and the tabernacle went with them. And why was it important that the tabernacle went with them? So that they knew that God was with them. That God would protect them. That God would comfort them. That God would teach them. And what John is saying is, Jesus is our tabernacle. He came and lived among us. He put on flesh. He became like we are so that we could know God. Only in Jesus can we truly know the glory of God. Now, we can see the majesty of God in creation, can't we? Have you ever laid out on your back on a clear night and looked and tried to count all the stars? Have you ever sat on the shore and watched the huge waves miles off come in and pound against the surf? Have you ever seen a single snowflake under a microscope? We can see the majesty of God in creation. We can hear the promises of God in his word, but in Jesus and in Jesus alone do we truly see the glory of God. He is the only begotten Son of God. There is none like him. He reveals God to us. He is, as Hebrews says, the exact imprint, the express image of God. But there is a note of caution here that we must sound. Because we can get too caught up in the notion of Christmas. We can think that all we need to do is to be pleasant around Christmas. You know, it's when these things happen is when co-workers or neighbors that we never talk to show up at our cubicle or our door with pound cake or cookies. It's when people go out of their way for a week and a half a year to do nice things. We can think that all that Christmas is about is being pleasant and peaceful and helpful. But you see, Jesus makes all the difference. And when he came into the world, John tells us, the world rejected him. The world did not believe in him. It did not seize upon or receive Jesus. Now, what John is telling us is the world didn't grasp the significance of Jesus. And this is true in Katy, Texas in 2016. People love the cute baby Jesus that never gets out of the manger. People love to talk about the Christmas story. And if they could, they have wise men, some animals, some shepherds. And if they could squeeze Frosty and Rudolph in there too, all the better. It's just a pleasant fiction to people. But the truth is that the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is an historical fact that changed the world forever. And if the world understood this, the world would have never been the same. It wouldn't have gone on simply as it did if it would have understood who Jesus is. And that's what we see in our society today. So many simply go on with their lives as if Jesus makes no difference. Oh, there will be celebrations and there will be gift giving and there will be pleasantries until December 26th. 
And then life goes back to what? Normal. Because Christmas comes, and it may even be important, but it's not life-changing. For the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christmas is life-changing. You can never be the same again. Jesus warns us about this. That it is not just about knowledge. For you see, the ones who rejected him, John says, his own people, they knew of his coming for centuries before. The entirety of their lives revolved around the coming of the Messiah. Their worship, their government. And yet they did not welcome him when he came. Once again, this time of the year provides us with a vivid illustration. Just as when Jesus came to Bethlehem, there was no room at the inn because there were so many other more important things going on. So it can be with us. This Christmas, will you have room for Jesus Christ? Not a spare room in your house, but room in your heart. Do you have room for Jesus? Fourthly and finally, we see that Jesus is the bringer of grace. Jesus has come because he had to come. He is the one who brings grace for us. Now we have to understand that apart from Jesus Christ, we are lost. Jesus is the only one who brings grace and truth. But when the Lord our God determined to save for himself a people, it became absolutely necessary that Jesus would come. There was no other choice. There was no other option. We needed someone to bring grace to us because our only hope is grace. We cannot earn our peace with God. We cannot do good works to work our way up to a perfect and holy God. God requires perfection in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. We can't live up for that for a half an hour, let alone an entire life. So where's our hope? Our hope is that God, in the person of Jesus, brings grace to us. And what grace Jesus brings. Do you see how John describes it? He brings grace. Grace upon grace. You see, John tells us that Jesus is a fountain of grace, overflowing. There's so much grace that you can't even describe it. It's grace upon grace upon grace. And Christmas is the start of that grace. Now be assured, Christmas is not about sentimentality. Christmas is not a way that we can improve ourselves. Christmas is the event that touches off the coming of undeserved grace to mankind. Who would have ever thought of this? Have you contemplated that? Could you imagine how long you would have sat down trying to think of a way to save the world and come up with the solution of God becoming man in the person of the baby Jesus. Only God 
could come up with that eternal plan to bring grace to his people. Finally, Christmas reminds us that God is with us. You see, God wants us to know him. God wants us to have a relationship with him. And God shows this to us in the coming of Jesus. Because we could not know God as we ought to apart from the coming of Jesus. John puts it this way. He says, no one has ever seen God. But in Jesus, we have. The only God... That's Jesus John is talking about there. The word there for only is better translated only begotten. It's the same word that John uses earlier. He's using it of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one has seen God but Jesus who is at the Father's side. He's made him known. We've seen God in Jesus because we've seen his love. We've seen his mercy. We know God because of the coming of Jesus. So then, this Christmas, are you focusing on who Jesus is? Have you accepted him, believed on him, and received the right to be called a child of God? The same Lord who so generously sent his Son will not turn you away if you seek him out. That is the meaning and the hope of Christmas. God became man so that we could be reunited with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from your servant John. We pray, Lord, that even as we dwell upon the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would acknowledge Him for who He is, that we would recognize all that He has done, that we would seek Him out to worship Him, to glorify Him. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.